0: So we are preaching through Luke's gospel, and in today's passage, Luke's main point, I believe, is to help us see afresh how crucial it is that we be reading the scriptures regularly. How vital it is that we be studying the scriptures, thinking deeply about the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, pondering the scriptures, and I think what God wants to do through this passage is to work here in Grace Church to to bring us all to a fresh level of yes your word yes studying the scriptures yes making this a priority it's easy to get started and then to kind of drift off and I think God wants to raise all of all of us up to a new level of commitment to studying of his word so let's turn to Luke 24 verses 13 to 35. And here's some background to the passage. Here's what's been going on. All through Luke's gospel, we've seen Jesus tell his disciples that he was going to be arrested, betrayed, crucified, killed, and then buried. So he told them about that all all through Luke's gospel. And we've just seen Jesus arrested Just a few verses back, Thursday night, Maundy Thursday. Then Friday, just as he had said, he was crucified and he was killed. His body was wrapped in linen cloths, laid in an empty tomb carved out of the rock, which had a stone covering it. Then on Saturday, his followers observed the Jewish Sabbath. But then early Sunday morning, some women went to the tomb ready to anoint the body and they discovered that the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. And then some angels were there just blazing with bright light and said to them, "He is not here. Just as he said, he's risen." Amazing. And they went back and told the other disciples What had happened, some of the men from that group went back to check out the tomb. Sure enough, just as the women had said, it was empty. And that's what brings us right up then to today's passage, Luke 24, 13 to 35. In this passage, Luke shifts the focus to two other disciples. And he wants to emphasize something very unusual that is true about them. So let's start that as our Take that as our first question. What does Luke emphasize about these two disciples? Start with verse 13. That very day, Sunday, same Sunday, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, about a little over 10 kilometers north from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So it's the same Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. These two disciples leaving Jerusalem, walking north to Emmaus. They're talking about the things that have just been happening in Jerusalem. And while they are talking, Jesus catches up with them. And starts walking with them. So get the picture. This is the crucified Jesus who was killed, who had been dead, risen from the dead, and he is right there with them. But Luke tells us their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Luke wants us to be shocked by that. What? How are their eyes kept from recognizing him? What's the problem? Why didn't they recognize Jesus? I mean, they knew Jesus. They were his followers. They knew about him. They'd spent time with him. They traveled with him, heard him teach, watched him work miracles. Why did they not recognize Jesus? That's the second question Luke wants us asking. And in the next verses, Luke gives us three answers. Why? Did they not recognize Jesus? First answer, it was not because they had not known about Jesus. Look at verses 17 through 20. We're going to see here that they had known about Jesus. Verse 17, he, Jesus, said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he, Jesus, said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers Delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. So these two disciples had known about Jesus. They'd been followers of Jesus. They they knew that Jesus was mighty indeed in his actions. Like healing blind Bartimaeus. Sight restored, just like that. Or being in a massive storm and silencing, stilling the storm with a command. They knew. Jesus had been mighty indeed, and they knew that Jesus had been mighty in word. They had heard him teaching. They'd seen people's hearts be changed in hearing his teachings. They'd seen people walk away transformed with his life giving words. So the reason they did not recognize Jesus was not because they didn't know him, they knew him. Second answer Luke gives, it was not because they knew nothing about the resurrection. They'd heard talk about that. Look at verses 21 through 24. So here they are continuing to explain what they knew about Jesus. Verse 21, these two disciples said, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. They emphasize that because they'd heard Jesus say, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. But they're saying it's the third day, he hasn't arisen. Verse 22, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So it's clear that they knew about the rumors about Jesus' resurrection, the possibility of Jesus' resurrection. They knew that. So the reason they could not recognize Jesus was not because they didn't know him, and it was not because they had heard nothing about the resurrection. It's not what it was so why did they not recognize jesus luke's third answer it was because they did not believe the prophets the old testament prophets and what they said about jesus suffering that's why look at verse 25 and 26 and he jesus said to them oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Powerful. See, the Old Testament prophets, Genesis to Malachi, had made it clear that the Messiah would come to suffer and die to pay for sin. And that's what humanity needs. That's what we've all needed. You have needed this. If you haven't realized that, I hope you'll realize it tonight. This is what we have all needed because we've all turned our backs on our creator, God, who is so real, so loving, So compassionate, so powerful, so wise, so beautiful that knowing him fills us with the greatest joy in the universe. That's who our God is, our creator God, and we've all turned our backs to him, chosen to live our own lives. No, thank you. I'm going to make my own choices, live my own life. We've all turned our backs on him in our pride, and that's what the Bible calls sin. We've all done that, right? You've done that. I have done that. And because of that sin, which is horrible sin, we all deserve to be punished by God forever. Every human being. But in great love and in amazing, just breathtaking mercy, God sent Jesus, the Messiah, His own Son, who was punished for all the sins of all those who would turn and put their trust in him, trusting Jesus to forgive them, trusting Jesus to change their hearts, trusting Jesus to fill and satisfy their hearts. Everyone who turns to trust Jesus has their sins paid for and forgiven through what Jesus did on the cross, Jesus, the Messiah, and the prophets, said that that's what would happen. The Old Testament prophets said that the Messiah would suffer, and that after he suffered, after he died, the prophets said he'd be raised from the dead. That's what the Old Testament prophets said. But these two disciples, they could not imagine a, a Messiah who suffers and dies. What? Their view of the Messiah was probably, he'd come, heal the sick, cast out demons, conquer Rome, bring Israel into an everlasting season of peace and prosperity. That's what they were probably thinking the Messiah was. But they could not imagine a, a suffering, dying Messiah? Why? What's the point of that? And so when they heard Jesus say that he was going to be crucified? Or when they heard the Old Testament prophets read that the Messiah would would suffer, they would not believe it. They could not believe it. They just didn't hear it. No. No, no. Jesus is the Messiah who's going to conquer Rome. He's going to redeem Israel. And so when Jesus did suffer, when Jesus did die, They were devastated. You can see that in verse 21. Imagine the the feeling in their voices. But we had hoped. Oh, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That was their hope. But now that hope was crushed. Jesus' death, he's not the Messiah. We thought he was the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. He died, it's over. So all their hope was gone because they did not believe what the prophet said about Jesus suffering before glory. And that's why when the resurrected Jesus was standing right in front of him, they could not, they would not recognize him. That brings us to our next question. What does Jesus do? What does he do about this? I love Jesus. (laughs) This This is just, this is what he would do. Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What did he do? He helps them. Don't you love that? He helps them. Oh, how many times we are weak in faith, right? How many times we are doubting your Jesus, my Jesus, our Jesus will help us at those times. And that's what he does right here. He helps them. He went over the scriptures. He opened up the scriptures to them, the scriptures about himself. He, he explained and taught them the scriptures all through the Old Testament, the scriptures that showed especially that he was going to suffer, the Messiah was going to suffer, and then be raised. So imagine that you are one of these two disciples. Just try to put yourself in their shoes a little bit here. You're thinking that we thought Jesus was the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. He's dead. How could the Messiah suffer and die? It's impossible. And and just think of how it would have impacted you to have the Old Testament scriptures opened up and explained while you're on this road walking to Emmaus, I think Jesus might have started off with Genesis chapter three verse fifteen. We know he started; he's mentioned Moses. This is Moses, but look at Genesis chapter three verse fifteen, where God is talking to the serpent, to Satan. Hey, okay, God is talking to Satan here. It's after the fall, after Adam and Eve have sinned. God is talking to the serpent, to Satan. and Look at what God says. And imagine that you're one of these disciples hearing Jesus explain this to you. God says to Satan, I will put enmity, that is division, between you, serpent, Satan, and the woman. The woman's been in agreement with you up to this point. She ate the fruit, right? Tree of knowledge of good and evil. He said, you'll be like God. And she ate. You're in agreement. I'm going to put division between you. I'm going to change her heart, save her, Adam too. I'll put division, enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring, the serpent, Satan's offspring, that is those who are against God, people that are against God. I'll put division between your offspring and her offspring, those people who are saved and come to God, those people that are for God. And that would include the Messiah there. He wasn't saved, but he was for God. He, the Messiah, shall bruise your head, serpent. I just just love that. Imagine God telling Satan, he's going to bruise your head. That is a mortal wound that's going to destroy Satan. And you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. You will cause him suffering. but You will not destroy him. So imagine you were one of these two disciples. Jesus is opening up Genesis 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 15 to you. And you're thinking, so in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God, Moses writes about how God is prophesying that the Messiah, the offspring of Eve, Eve's great, 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 great grandson is going to suffer going to destroy Satan, but is going to suffer. Imagine you're one of these disciples just trying to take this in. The Messiah is going to suffer. But why? How? I think maybe Jesus next went to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5, about the Messiah suffering for our sins. Look at this prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah. He's talking about the servant of the Lord, who is another way of describing the Messiah, and look at what he says, verse four. "Surely he, the Messiah, has borne our griefs. that is, the griefs that we deserve to suffer because of our sin. He has borne those griefs. And he's carried our sorrows, the sorrows that we deserve to suffer because of our sin. He's carried those sorrows. He's experienced those griefs, those sorrows. This is the Messiah? He's gonna suffer our griefs and our sorrows. Yet, even though it was our griefs and our sorrows, we deserved it. We esteemed him stricken. He was the one that was stricken for our sin. He was smitten by God for our sin. He was afflicted for our sin. The Messiah's suffering. Do you see that here? So powerful. Verse five why was he suffering? He was pierced for our transgressions. We deserved the piercing. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment, that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. But imagine the disciples Clear as day, the Messiah is going to suffer. He's going to be pierced. He's going to be smitten by God. He's going to be afflicted. Imagine, so it's not just Moses they're saying. The prophet Isaiah. The Messiah will suffer for our sins. But then imagine them thinking, but if he's pierced and crushed and smitten by God, isn't that the end of the Messiah? No, it's not the end. Maybe Jesus next went to Psalm 16, verse 10. Again, Old Testament, about Jesus' resurrection. David here is prophesying about the Messiah, about Jesus. And he describes Jesus talking to the Father, to God the Father. Psalm 16, 10, Jesus talking. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol, the place of the dead. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the place of the dead. Or let your Holy One see corruption. Amazing statement. Read Peter's sermon about this passage in Acts chapter 2. But again, imagine the disciples just reeling, thinking, whoa, wait a minute. The Messiah is going to be pierced and crushed and smitten by God dying, paying for our sin, but that will not be the end. God will not abandon him to Sheol, to the place of the dead. God will not let his body be, corrupt- be corrupted. That means he's not going to stay in the grave, he's going to rise from the dead, plain as day. So imagine these disciples. Just put yourself in their shoes. You're seeing it. Jesus is there. You're walking on the road toward Emmaus, and he's teaching them the Old Testament scriptures about how the Messiah will suffer and will rise from the dead. So how did this affect them? What happened to them as a result? What impact did this have on them? Verses 28 to 35. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He, Jesus, acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us, (laughs) stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Let me just explain this vanishing thing. When you read about what Jesus did after he'd been raised from the dead while he was still on earth with his resurrection body, you can see that his body is not like ours. It wasn't like a ghost or like a a flimsy, filmy spirit. His body was more real than your body. But it could vanish, it could appear, it could go through doors, read about it. Okay, so that's what's going on here. We don't know where he went, but we know that he continued to show himself to people. But he vanished from their sight. But notice that their eyes are opened, verse 31, and they recognized Jesus. Why did they now recognize Jesus? Why? Why? I don't think it's because he's celebrating communion with them and they remember what happened three nights ago at the Lord's Supper. I don't think that's what's going on here. Do your own study on this, but there's three reasons why I don't think that's what's happening. First reason, there's no mention of the cup. The Lord's Supper was the bread and the cup, both. Picture of Jesus' body, picture of his shed blood. No mention of the cup here. Second reason, all Jewish meals begin with breaking the bread, blessing the bread, distributing the bread. All Jewish meals. That's how they all were conducted. So this is just the way that a normal Jewish meal would be, would be initiated. Third, keep in mind that these two disciples were not apostles. We'll see in humor few more verses, they go back to the 11 apostles. They were not apostles, so they weren't there at the Lord's Supper. It's not what's happening here so what is going on here it's true that their eyes were opened as he broke bread but why what brought about this change why were they changed and i think the disciples explain what changed them in verse 32 start with verse 31 to get the flow of thought verse 31 remember their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? That was the focus of their thinking, not just like, like no, it, was, it was what happened back in the road. That's what was going on. So let me try to explain how I think this happens. Remember, they were not believing What the Old Testament taught about the Messiah suffering and then being resurrected. Their their faith was like cold. There was no fire of faith in their hearts. Their, their, Their hearts were like cold with faith. No faith. So Jesus took them through the Old Testament scriptures. Opened them up one by one about the Messiah suffering. And about him rising from the dead. And as he did that, their hearts started to burn Within them. Their, their faith catches fire. Fire burning. Little faith. Could it be? Maybe? Their hope starts to rise? Is it possible? Maybe the Messiah does suffer and die and then rise from the dead. So they're going through this whole shift in their thinking now. This this fire, this burning in their hearts is growing, and it keeps growing. Their faith is rising. Their, Their hope is strengthening until as Jesus breaks the bread, it all comes together. Yes! The Messiah does suffer. He does die. He does rise from the dead, and you're the Messiah. We can see it now. So there's this Gradual, progressive—the power of the word burning their hearts, faith growing, hope rising until they see as he breaks the bread. That's what I think is going on here. See, there's a process involved when. Well, you you experience this, don't you? Times when you're when you're when you have unbelief in your heart, like I did yesterday morning about some things when there's unbelief in your heart and you open up the scriptures and say, Lord, forgive me. I've got unbelief in my heart. Help me to see your word more clearly, to see you more clearly, to understand your promises, to believe them. To and, 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 and that can take minutes or hours, right? And, and, but fire. Oh, it's burning. It's burning. Keep it going. It's burning more. Faith is rising. Hope is rising. And, and then yes, You see, right? Isn't that how it works? It's a process. And that's what I think was happening. It started on the road, and it grew and grew and grew until, yes. I mean, their minds were changed. Their understanding of the Messiah was changed. This was a huge change for them. And then they see Jesus is the Messiah. That's what's happening here. But Luke is not finished. Remember, they had traveled all the way from Jerusalem to Emmaus, over 10 kilometers and the hour was getting to be late but they've been transformed and look at what they do next verse 33 and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem 10 kilometers back back to Jerusalem here we go and they found the 11 see here's these two they find the 11 they're not apostles they're they're followers but they're not apostles they found the 11 And those who were with them, the 11 and the other followers, gathered together. And the 11 and those who were with them were saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon, Simon Peter. So this is what they announced to these two disciples. Then these two disciples, verse 35, Then they told, they, the two disciples, told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Powerful. And see what Jesus does. How in mercy and compassion and gentleness and patience and care, he takes these two men who are so wrong on what the Messiah was, what the Old Testament said about the Messiah. And he opens the scriptures to them. He teaches them the scriptures. He explains to them the scriptures. The fire starts to burn. Faith starts to rise, starts to grow. This is our Jesus. If you're, if you're trusting Jesus, you've experienced this. We all experience it many times. And here's the question I want to ask. What does this mean for us? Grace Church, what does this mean for us? And here's what I think God wants to say to us tonight. I think at least one of Luke's main points here is to help us understand the power Of the word of God. To change our hearts. To free us from unbelief. To strengthen our faith. The power of the word of God. Psalm 19 verse 7 I think. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting, transforming the soul. God's word changes hearts. That's what I think the Lord wants us to focus on here. See, we all have times when we are like these two disciples. Don't we? I do. We can doubt. We can doubt that Jesus' death really is able to pay for all my sins. I mean, all of them, like that one, that one? And we can doubt that, just like these disciples were doubting. We can doubt that God really does work all things together for good. Even this heartbreaking, devastating suffering that maybe you're going through right now? Really? Really? We can doubt that. We can doubt that you're on a Friday night alone thinking, you know, closeness with Jesus will satisfy me more than sin tonight. Really? Will Jesus' fellowship with Jesus satisfy me more than sin? We can doubt that God really does hear. When we pray, when we come to him in Jesus' name, we can doubt that he he hears us. We can doubt that the Bible can change our hearts when we're feeling so far from God and when we're so full of unbelief or anger or bitterness or whatever it might be. So we all have times when we are like these two disciples. And here's the good news. Every day, (laughs) we can have Jesus By the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's also called the Spirit of Jesus. Every day we can have the Spirit of Jesus come to us and and open up the Scriptures to us. Explain the Scriptures to us. Help us with the Scriptures. Teach the Scriptures to us. Help us to see what's there in the words of of the Scriptures. And strengthen our faith. Get this faith going again, right? Just like he did with his disciples. So here's two applications I want to give to you. Because I feel like God, especially, maybe all of us, but especially some of us, it's, we need to, to recommit to the importance of being committed to the Word of God. So first application. Establish a daily rhythm of Bible reading. Establish a daily rhythm of Bible reading. Every follower of Jesus needs to regularly set aside everything else and read the Bible. Study the Bible. Think deeply about the truths taught in the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Meditate on the Bible. Every follower of Jesus needs to have times where we put everything else aside to do that. Just read the Bible. Read it slowly. Read, read, read through books that my There's no rush. It might take you weeks to get through a book. That's fine. But think and pray. Lord, come, open my eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. Psalm 119. Teach me your word, Lord. Teach me your word. Jesus, come alongside me right now while you were with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And teach me the scriptures. And as you do that, asking Jesus to teach you, thinking pondering the words of the scriptures. He will meet you. He will strengthen your faith. He will fan it into flame. You'll experience what the disciples experienced. That's one application. Establish a daily rhythm of Bible reading. By the way, I brought this, we have sheet, these sheets out in the back, in the welcome table. I, I made, we've got 30 of them. If we need more, we'll make more. But this is how to study the Bible. This is version 6.4, how to study the Bible from Grace Church. So, um, just try to break it down so that you can have, a, have a kind of a guideline to follow. So those are out there for your help. That's the first application. Establish a daily rhythm of Bible reading. Do you have that? Do you have that? Have you had that today, yesterday, where you're setting everything else aside and just reading the Word, Word of God? If not, reestablish that. Not as a duty, not as just kind of a religious ritual you're supposed to do, but this church, this is life. This is strength. This is meeting God in the pages of the scripture. This is food for your soul. So establish that. Second application. Turn to scripture when your faith grows weak. So even if you've had a wonderful time earlier today reading the scriptures, later on in the day, your faith can be attacked, right? You can feel jealousy rising up in your heart or bitterness filling your soul, or discouragement coming, or greed, or lust, or whatever it might be, right? Our faith gets attacked later on in the day. This happens, right? Yes, this happens. It happens. And when that happens, even if you've read the Bible earlier, turn to the Bible again. As soon as possible, find verses that speak to exactly what you're dealing with, Find verses that speak to what ways your faith is being weakened or attacked and pray over those verses and preach those verses to yourself and ponder the truth of those verses and pray over them some more. Fight the fight of faith by means of the scriptures. And as you do, Jesus will come to you and meet you and strengthen you and get that that faith strengthened again just like he did with those two disciples. This is an amazing passage of scripture from Luke. Think about these two men who were adamant that Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, was not the Messiah. And they were devastated by that. But look at the powerful change that took place in their hearts when Jesus opened up the scriptures to them faith was restored, hope was restored, life was given. This is what will happen to you. This is what Jesus will do for you. Just what he did for these disciples through the scriptures, that's what he will do for you as well. So establish that regular daily rhythm of Bible reading and then turn, pull out the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6, Paul calls it, when your faith is attacked later on in the day. But church, let's rise up to a new level of devotion to the scriptures, studying the scriptures, reading the scriptures, inviting Jesus to come and teach us the scriptures. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did for these two disciples. We love your compassion. We love your mercy. We love your power through the word of God. Thank you. And thank you, Lord, that you will do that for us. When we are battling unbelief, when we are being pulled away from you by temptation, you will do that for us. You'll meet us first thing in the morning or whenever we have our time where we set everything else aside to open up your word. You'll do that for us. Lord, we thank you. We love you. Pour out upon Grace Church fresh devotion to the Scriptures, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.